Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ag Innovation News Podcast, presented by the Agricultural Utilization Research Institute of Minnesota. I'm Dan Scogan, your host for the Ag Innovation News Podcast, and guests on the Ag Innovation News Podcast will also shed light on innovations in value-added agriculture, will highlight important voices and work that's being done throughout the Minnesota ag sector, and educate the public about resources and organizations that support Minnesota agriculture. Today, we'll be learning more about the Grass-Fed Cattle Company and its role in sustainable agricultural ecosystems. Joining us today is Jared Luman. Jared, welcome to the program. Hey, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. Let's just start with a bio on you and some background on how you came to be running the Grass-Fed Cattle Company. I farm with my dad on our farm that we're not really sure how many generations we've been here. When I asked my grandpa, he said, we've been farming since we got off the boat that brought us here. So we've been here for a while. We raise registered Red Angus cattle and also row crops. And we're not necessarily the largest of farms. And then, so I'd say a large part of our ability to have multiple generations running our farm has been by producing and marketing products at a premium. And so we do that by raising and selling registered livestock and breeding stock grass-fed and finished beef direct-to-consumer and organic crops as well as some conventional crops, but always focused on doing things at a lower cost and selling at a premium, I guess, is kind of our niche and how we've been able to have multiple generations on a farm that's roughly 700 acres that includes pasture and tillable ground in southeast Minnesota. Where are you located? Just outside of Goodhue, Minnesota, right in between Rochester and the Twin Cities. So Jared, you, your wife, your dad, grandpa, who was the instigator to get you to the farm or did you always think this is where you would be? I always wanted to be here and I think there was always the desire to have the next generation be here. My dad and grandpa always wanted that. The question was how to make it work and I'd say in some ways we're still trying to figure out how to make it work every year but we were all kind of on board with this. It's something that we all love. We want to keep passing on and so it was really no question if the interest was there that we were going to try and find a way to make sure that I could get back. And I was grateful for my dad's support and making that happen. Did you spend some time off the farm before you came back? I came back right away and worked for five years full-time on the farm. And then in 2020, actually made a little bit of a shift on the farm. We were trying to make some shifts that might make the work-life balance a little bit better tried to back down on some of the work we did on the farm. And I actually took a job working for the Sustainable Farming Association of Minnesota and worked with them full-time for the past two years. And now I'm back farming again full-time. Like I mentioned, we're still trying to figure out how it, how it all will work long-term, but I am back working full-time again now. Someday you'll get it all figured out, right? Maybe by the time we pass it on to the next, we'll finally have my generations fixed. And then you became owner of Grass-Fed Cattle Company. How did that come about? I grew up, and I don't know what you heard, but Minnesota and row crop country, you need like a thousand acres per family full time to make a living farming. And we only had like 400 tillable acres and we're having multiple families. And so we've always been focused on adding value somehow. And we have this beef herd that we're already raising grass based. And so we tried to build a direct marketing business like many cattle farmers do to try and add value to their products, selling direct to the consumer and started doing that just direct off the farm with quarters, halves and holes. We drop them off at the locker and they go and pick it up at the processor. And we did some of that, not a huge amount. We still don't do a huge amount today, but my wife was working off the farm and was working for a pretty high expectation off-farm job that was pretty stressful and wanted to get back, started to have kids. 
And so kind of randomly gotten connected with a couple that had built kind of a direct-to-consumer brand, the Grass-Fed Cattle Company, and they were looking to move out of that. And so we took over their brand and their customer base and their systems. And that's a lot more intensive and intentional direct marketing enterprise where every pound of beef goes through us. And it's a lot more work than the system we did before, but it allowed us to kind of skip over a lot of headaches of starting up a brand from scratch and a lot of the stuff that goes into that, figuring out the early stages and, and allowed us to scale it pretty quickly. When we saw that opportunity, we did that. We jumped at it. My wife quit her off-farm job and has been taking over that along with me, working more on the production side and also helping on the marketing side. So did you use the grass-fed cattle company for some marketing before you bought it? We did not. actually stumbled across it, always looking for opportunities, see what's out there in a website that I was just interested in looking around is Biz Buy Sell, and it's where people can sell businesses. And I found this, I think the title was Niche Direct-to-Consumer Meat Company. And it didn't say what the specific company was, but I was like, that's intriguing. <laughs> Looked it up and ended up being a decent situation. So we'd never used them previously, but that's how we got connected with them. A little more about your operation, Jared. Red Angus, I mean, a beautiful animal. Why did you settle on that? This goes back to my grandpa. Always been in the seed stock business. And actually back when he was farming, they had registered Holsteins, registered sheep. I don't know which breed. And then registered Simmental beef cattle. And he was selling everything genetics as well as the production side. But the Simmental, he thought were going the wrong direction. They were getting bigger, bigger, bigger. And he didn't really think that was the right way to go. So he was looking at other breeds to switch to and thought everybody and their brother has a black Angus herd. So maybe he thought he should do something a little bit differently with red Angus. And that allowed us to be a little more niche. He went Red Angus a while ago, but my dad actually probably 15 or more years ago now got partnered up with Farrow Cattle Company, who's a seed stock producer based out of Colorado. They market over a thousand bulls from cooperative producers like us. We actually became a cooperative producer for them. And so we sell seed stock through them as a cooperative producer. And that's been a really good partnership for us. And the Red Angus was a breed that they were looking to expand the bull numbers. So we were fortunate that grandpa had made that decision back in the day to get into them. And then my dad continued to focus on grazing-based genetics. And Jared, it just sounds like entrepreneurship and innovation and farm diversity kind of comes naturally to this family. Yeah. And I would say that it's interesting. My dad and my grandfather, I would say largely were shaped by conservative. They realized we can make more money in this business by A, scaling up. And that takes a lot of money, capital and risk. It's a low margin business and can be very stressful. And my dad talks a lot about the 80s and witnessing what that looked like. So that was one option. And the other option to make this business more profitable was just to focus on cutting costs and, and increasing the value of this product that we're selling. And that requires a lot less risk, a lot less capital invested. And that's the direction that my dad is kind of always focused on. And I think there was a lot of wisdom in that decision. We look at a lot of farms that have grown and sure, it'd be nice to done that and been that, but there were a lot of businesses that out of business too, because they took on too much and they have always focused on limiting risk. And that's been a good thing. A couple more questions about your Red Angus, and then we'll move into the grass-fed cattle company and your operation a little more, but give me the elevator speech on why I would want to raise Red Angus. 
a lot of times people ask what breeds are most important. And I would say almost less important on breed specific and more important on the breeding program and how those animals are being raised. And we focus on a low input based genetics cattle that can thrive on what our environment provides rather than needing to supplement with a whole bunch of other inputs, protein in winter. And, and our cows graze corn stalks all winter with no protein supplement because we're breeding the slow input type cow. And you can find that in any breed if you find the right producer. And that's more important than breed specific. But for us, I mean, the Red Angus have been very adaptable to that system. We've spent the last 20 years focusing on weeding out the ones that can't fit in the environment that nature provides for us here. And now we're really happy with the herd that we've built over the last two, three decades. And then tell me about the carcass, the meat of a Red Angus. Is it different? Again, it's going to matter largely on what the individual selects for more so than the breed specific. But I, I do think that they're known for quality meat, tender beef, but our focus has not been specifically on carcass traits as a producer. Very little of your value is generated by carcass traits. On my podcast, interviewing somebody who talked about how they, and this might be getting in the weeds a little more off track than what you're interested in, but she raising low input cattle was able to cut her costs from the average cost to keep a cow for a year being close to $1,000 for her between five and $600 a cow. And so by raising the right type of cow that she can cut all these costs, she saves $400 a year, whereas carcass traits might only add $50, $100 premium. And so we don't focus so much on carcass traits. That being said, we sell beef to hundreds of customers through our brand raised entirely on grass and get no complaints. The only complaints we have, I would say, are just people who are not necessarily used to or expecting what grass-fed beef might be slightly different, but the quality of the beef is great. It's actually one of the cool things about being in a direct-to-consumer marketing enterprises. We get to hear from the very people eating our beef, not just the general population. Well, and let's talk about what might surprise people about grass-fed beef that they're not used to or not expecting. I can't even really put a finger on it. And like a lot of people don't, they say it just tastes great. We hear a lot of times that people say this tastes like beef that I used to eat when I grew up, like what they remember. It's a different experience, different flavor somehow, but most people expect it to be gamey and tough like an elk or something like that. And grass-finished beef done well does not have to be the experience you have eating grass-finished beef. In fact, I would say that if it is that way, then it's been done wrong. And so we focus on grazing management, grazing well, having the right genetics to match that sort of a production system. And then the beef quality is excellent. It might not be as prime. There might not be as much of a fat content as some, and that can be different for somebody who may not expect that, but the quality and the tenderness is in no way poorer or worse. In a nutshell, they probably won't see the marbling that you would see on a corn-fed animal. It can be done, and I've seen it done, and we've done it, but it takes more time, it's more expensive, and, and it's not as common. Let's talk a little bit about the grass-fed beef business model. You're putting your beef through grass-fed beef company. Are other farmers contributing product to the company? We market grass-fed beef, pastured pork, and pastured chicken. And on our farm, we raise some of the grass-fed beef and all of the pastured chicken. And then we have farmers we work with. We have one farmer that we get all our pastured pork from and a couple other farmers that we work with on grass-fed beef. So if somebody's listening to the podcast today and they would like to get more information or would like to possibly become a producer for you, what's that process like? We have people reaching out to us probably every week saying, hey, I've got this beef. Are you interested in 
Unfortunately, I would love to take on everybody, but demand is not caught up with the supply that we could have available. We're, we're not too large yet, so we're not taking on any farmers currently, but people are welcome to reach out. What we do is we work with farmers. Mostly the farmers we work with are farmers I know and trust already. So I don't have an extensive program, but if we were to work with somebody new, I would want to get out to their farm, learn about their program, make sure that they are following all the same practices and protocols that we do and that our customers have come to know us for and trust us for before ever getting product from them. Jared, I want to get your insight on the taste of the pork and poultry, as well as the beef. But I also want to talk more about who you're working with and who the end user is of your products. But I want to remind our listeners today that they're listening to the Ag Innovation News podcast presented by the Agricultural Utilization Research Institute of Minnesota. And today we're learning more about the Grass-Fed Cattle Company and its role in sustainable agricultural ecosystem. And our guest today is Jared Lumen from the Grass-Fed Cattle Company, who also farms down in the Goodhue area, and that's the birthplace of the grass-fed cattle company, that's where the beef and the poultry are coming from. And where is the pork coming from then, Jared? The pork's coming from a farm in Wisconsin. Just one farm? Yeah, one farm is producing all the pastured pork that we get right now. And you're producing all of the chicken and most of the beef? All of the chicken and some of the beef. I, I don't know that it's the majority at this point. When I look at your website a little bit, it looks like you're focusing on local resources that are sustainable. Why is that important for you? Local, just in general, I think is more sustainable. One of the things that I think is coolest about this direct-to-consumer approach is that rather than corn from one area and cattle from another area fed in one spot and owned by investors somewhere else, I mean, when we sell an animal, say we get $3,000 total product sold out of an animal, that money is going to our local processor going to a local trucking company that hauls our cattle from the processor to our freezer space. It's going to a locally owned cold storage space. It's going to us as a farmer. It's supporting local businesses. And I love that about it. So when every dollar that is spent, the vast majority of that stays within our community. And I think that's just hugely important for our local community. It makes our local economies more sustainable. Most economists will tell you that the number of times you can roll that money over in a smaller area, the better for that local community. Exactly. And that's what I love about it. I mean, I think when we, we do sell a couple of animals to the sales barn, and when I think about where the money that's being spent on that is going, very rarely does it stay in our community or even in any local community, rural community in general. And so by supporting local farmers like this, if someone was to support us through their food dollar, almost all of their money will be kept local and they'll be supporting multiple local businesses. Does the grass-fed cattle company just sell to individuals or is there some retail shops or is there institutions, hospitals, schools that buy your product? So right now we're all just direct to the consumer we would love to do restaurants and wholesale grocers. The main reason we've avoided that so far is the stress of inventory management. And if a restaurant wants all the ribeyes they can get, we have to keep up with selling all the other ground beef, roast, whatever else that animal includes. If we could find restaurants or grocers that would be willing to work on whole animals, we would love that relationship and connection. But so far, by being able to sell direct to consumer, we've been able to manage our inventory a little bit better and keep moving all of the products at an equal pace so that we don't end up with a stockpile of way more than we can handle of any one cut. I hadn't even thought of that. The logistics of that could be a nightmare. 
Exactly. And especially when you consider just the volume of the storage space that it requires to store cuts. And if you're having to butcher an entire animal to sell your ribeyes to something and you got to figure out where to store and how to market the rest of that animal, it would be a nightmare. That being said, people who have done it very successfully and I want to learn from them. There are a lot of companies or several companies now that offer these meat box subscriptions. How do you differentiate your company from those? What we're trying to do is offer convenience to the consumer because a lot of times farmers, when they market kind of the way we used to do it is you get your name on a list, you get your beef when they can get a processing date, might be six months out, might be a year out. You don't know how much you're going to get. You don't know when you're going to get it. You don't know what it's going to cost until it's butchered and then you have to go get it. And so what we've done is all about just trying to offer as many options for people as possible and as many different options of actual product sizes. We offer everything from you can buy an individual pound of ground beef, you know, one cut all the way up to a half a beef. We have monthly meat clubs, monthly meat subscriptions that you can get every month. We have six pound, 11 pound and 20 pound boxes, I believe. We have all beef clubs. We have variety packs of beef, pork, and chicken. We have a pickup location in Edina, so you don't have to drive out to the farm or out to a processing plant. And then we also have delivery options within the Twin Cities. What we're really just trying to do is offer options that offer convenience to our consumer. That being said, I don't think we're able maybe to compete with a butcher box or a moink. You know, we can't direct market all around the country and we, we don't ship all around the country right now and we can't do it at the scale that they do it. But when you work with us, you call or you email, you get myself or my wife, you know, the owners, the farmers. So you can ask questions direct about the way your food was raised. You can learn not only about the meat, but about the process in which it was produced direct from the people doing it. And I think that it's very hard for those companies to be able to offer that kind of story and that kind of a relationship with the food that they're buying that we can offer. Hey, Jared, do you offer recipes? Yeah, we've actually worked with a couple chefs and nutritionists and things. We, we try to do a blog every now and then with recipe ideas. A lot of times we'll get requests about cuts that people aren't used to eating, like maybe short ribs or a lot of people don't make a row too often anymore. And so we'll throw recipes out about commonly asked questions on certain cuts of beef and different things. You mentioned a podcast. We appreciate you being on ours today, but what's your podcast about? I do the Herd Quitter podcast. My tagline, I guess, you talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think differently and do things differently and because of that, enjoy more profit in their business. The term comes from a herd quitter cow. I don't know if you're familiar, if you've moved a herd of cows, if you got a herd of cows and you got one cow that's always fighting you and going the other direction, that cow can be pretty frustrating. But if you think about it, that is the only cow in that entire herd that's actually thinking for herself kind of something that should be respected in the commodity industry where people largely do things the same way. It's about talking to people who aren't afraid to think for themselves and, and do things differently. Back to the grass-fed cattle company, Jared, what do you think the future holds for your operation and for the company? A question we talk about all the time is where do we go from here? I think what we'd like to do is definitely continue following this path of trying to make it as convenient as possible. You mentioned the other companies doing this. The kind of the standard is now Amazon delivered to your door. That's kind of becoming the standard for consumers. And I think long-term, if we're not able to meet that standard, deliver the door for a reasonable price and a reasonable time frame, you know, you're kind of going to be pushed out. And so I think we're going to try and focus on how do we build and make that infrastructure better. We'd like to get 
freezer vans and focus on you know, delivery, especially within the Twin Cities. We had looked at expanding out past the Minnesota. We even tried delivery to surrounding states and spent a while trying to figure that out. And maybe someday we'll get back to that. Someone had recommended I check out this website that tells you a population within a certain radius of a certain location. And I looked at the radius with a 20 mile radius around our freezer space in Edina, and there was a population of over 3 million people. And I was like, why am I trying to ship beef to Bismarck, North Dakota? when there are 3 million people around me right now. So I think we're just going to continue to try and focus on adding conveniences and focus on quality product, maybe adding a few other product lines, other meat products, locally regeneratively raised meat products, then focus on servicing our local community here. And that leads me to asking you about advice that you would give entrepreneurs who are maybe thinking about going down a similar path. What should they know? don't be afraid to do things differently <laughs> back to that herd quitter mentality. I mean, like for my dad early on when, you know, our farm, he's always looked at things differently. I joke that I was raised pretty well to be used to ridicule in a way. We, we grew up in an area where corn and soybean, dairy and beef, you know, kind of conventionally raised John Deere tractors, case tractors, Ford and Chevy pickup trucks. And we had grass finished beef, organic crops, and a McCormick tractor. And so I was born and raised to think differently and not be afraid about being maybe laughed at a bit because a lot of times it's the people that people laugh at that end up being wildly successful. And so don't be afraid to think differently. And do something different than might be the standard. So what keeps you up at night, Jared? Specifically with the Grassfed Cattle Company, still probably is that inventory management. Okay, where do the listeners go to get more information or to get on the shipping list with the Grassfed Cattle Company? So it's grassfedcattleco.com and you can sign up for our newsletter there. You can check us out on Facebook or Instagram. My wife does a pretty great job of keeping those updated and whatnot. That's also Grassfed Cattle Co. Jared Lohman, the owner of Grass-Fed Cattle Company, thanks for spending some time with us on the podcast today, and best of luck as you go forward. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dan. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today, and thank you for listening to the Ag Innovation News Podcast, presented by the Agricultural Utilization Research Institute of Minnesota. I want to thank our podcast crew of one, Lisa Martinez, AURI Communications Coordinator and Editor of this production. To learn more about AURI, go to auri.org.